Rounds Rant. Today I'm joined by Joe Kumiski, who is currently working for Facebook as Head of Sales in Middle East Africa. Along with this, Joe has worked in companies such as Google and Disney, while also being a past pupil of St. Michael's College. Uh, Joe, it's great to have you today, and uh, I always do this at the start of every podcast, so uh, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thanks very much, Richie. It's uh, great to have you here on Facebook. Can I actually welcome you to Facebook? Would you yes, mind? I'd yes, like to welcome you, you formally by presenting you with a Facebook pen oh, wow. and notepad, which is, you know, which is quite nice, but definitely the jewel in the crown for this welcome gift has got to be the Facebook sunglasses. So wow. feel free to rock those. I will rock them tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow, okay. I hope it's sunny for you tomorrow, Richie. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, well, to kick it all off, um, what would your memories be of St. Michael's College as a student? So actually, I have, um, I have great memories of St. Michael's College. Um, you know, I was born in uh, Dublin, but at the age of two, my whole family moved to California. So I came back to Ireland when I was 12. Um, so when I came into um, uh, St. Michael's College, I came in in sixth form. So it was our sixth class. I think it was called sixth form then, probably called sixth class now. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, Miss Joyce, she was my teacher. And uh, that was a huge change for me. You know, you're yeah. coming from somewhere where like it never rains. Like it literally just doesn't mm. rain in California to, uh, to Ireland where, you know, you get the odd day where uh, it'd be sunny and then there'd be a little bit of a sun shower. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. So I used to have, um, yeah, the first couple of weeks, I think, were, uh, were definitely a big shock to me. I had uh, the lads slagging me for my American accent and it'd say, uh, say sidewalk, say, <laughs> say fire hydrant, you know. Uh, I can clearly remember Dave O'Mahony chasing me around, uh, I think it was the, is it the 13s pitch or the 12s pitch singing Born in the USA? Yeah. <laughs> Those are the memories I have uh, from uh, arriving back to St. Michael's. But um, now in general, I, I, I mean, I loved St. Michael's. I thought it was great. It really was. Uh, for me, it was, uh, wasn't that massive a school. Some of the schools I've been in in the States were huge. Mm. Whereas the thing um, about St. Michael's is that it really was a, a community. That, that's what... That's what I think of when I think of St. Michael's. I look back on it. I look back on a, a group of friends that I made there that I still have. I'm actually going to a wedding tomorrow of Hugh O'Driscoll. Uh, he's, uh, he was literally uh, uh, one of my good friends from St. Michael's College uh, that I still hang out with now. And um, I also, you know, I also worked there as well as a teacher. So um, that, you know, gave me another group of, uh, of friends that I, that I still have. Don't see them as much, obviously, because uh, we're totally in a totally different industry now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, for me, St. Michael's is a great community. I have some great highs there and some great lows. You know, some of the highs were, for example, winning the All-Ireland Golf with the team in, jeez, uh, I can't remember uh, what year. And some of the lows, you know... Um, yeah, one of my best friends at the time, Des Healy, uh, died in uh, 1992 in a bike accident. And that okay. was the year we were all doing the leaving cert. And I can clearly remember coming in that morning, hearing the news. And that's something that, um, you know, I really do think about yeah. uh, pretty much every time I get on my bike. So, um, yeah, I love St. Michael's. Great memories there. Super. And what teachers kind of stood out for you that made the biggest maybe impression on you are for lack of a better term, had basically the biggest impact on you as a person growing up, especially in the latter years of fourth, fifth, and sixth year? Yeah, in the latter years. Um, gosh, it's, I, 
I'm loath to name names because, yeah. you know, but I will because, you know, that's what this is all yeah. about, Richie, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one of the teachers that for me was the most fun was Bernie Cosgrove. Mm. Isn't that right, Joe? What's right, Joe? <laughs> Flashing red lights. Uh, I hope she's listening, Bernie. Um, no, she was, uh, she was great fun. And uh, I think, you know, Bernie was teaching me French and Spanish and I actually love languages. Mm. Um, I'm not necessarily working in languages now. But uh, I did. I did live in uh, live and work in France for uh, for five years, and uh, yeah, I just I just love languages. So I think that's probably why uh, you know I think of uh, of of uh, Bernie Cosgrove as one of my favorite teachers. Um, Martin Kelly, I think, also was one of the teachers that I think uh, impressed me the most in terms yep. of his knowledge of his subject. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself, you know, fantastic at English, but. Uh, I just thought his knowledge and his passion for the subject as well. You could really feel that in each one of his classes. And I'm pretty sure anyone you talk to who's been in one of his classes would, uh, would call that out. Um, Anne Lynch as well, from a biology perspective, thought she was great. Um, and then uh, definitely Gary Coakley. Uh, Gary Coakley actually had the pleasure, in inverted commas, of uh, teaching me and my brother, uh, Andy. So, um, and I think, like... I, when he was when he was working with me, I could really feel how he was, uh, you know, trying to help me kind of grow and develop as a as a young man. And then I actually saw him do it the same to Andy Comiskey and uh, my brother. And I must say that, yeah, you could really see him, uh, you could see what he was doing and see how successful it was. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Have I named enough names there for you? Can I give you my favorite quote from a teacher? Yes, do. My favorite quote was when Father Lahan. Uh, late Father Lahan uh, came into I can't remember what it was it probably was fourth year okay and his, fav- his, his, his he sat us all down and he said I have something important to tell you he said, Dublin 4 is not the center of the universe <laughs> as you can imagine Richie this blew our minds yeah. everyone in the whole room was just like what yeah. D4 is not the center of the universe <laughs> what the hell are we going to do but uh, that for me, definitely without a shadow of a doubt, was my... Uh, standout moment from def- the quote uh, perspective. Standout moment, no doubt about it. Okay. And after you went through Michael's and you had your experiences, did you go straight into college? Yeah. Um, straight from St. Michael's into uh, Trinity. Studied uh, business studies in French there. Actually, I can remember doing the CAO form and um, I think I got a little lucky. Yeah. Uh, business studies in French it was the first year they were offering it so the points were artificially low because it was simply the first year people didn't know too much about it and it was it was very like international commerce with French or with Spanish or whatever in UCD and there was a differential there and I actually had international commerce with French in UCD first and yeah. then second was uh, business studies with French in Trinity and I didn't get my first choice I got my second choice but I was actually very very happy to get my second choice I absolutely loved my time in Trinity and like the next year the points just straight up so uh it was, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, a little bit lucky in that regard. Okay. And what were your kind of learnings from that? Like, was that, was it kind of fed on through school where you loved, as you were saying, touching on earlier, that French was something that you really enjoyed doing? Did you really just embrace the whole college um, lifestyle and obviously the academic side to yeah. it? Or was there a few bumps along the way, academically, I should say? Um, academically, I think I managed to hold it together. Um, there was actually a big difference for me going from, so my junior school was more or less in California yeah. and then my senior school was Ireland or sorry, St. Michael's. And then my, uh, uh university was obviously Trinity. The, one of the massive differences there for me was that when I was in junior school, 
in California. I was in a mixed school, like all the schools in California, or 95% of them would be mixed schools, you know, so boys and girls. And then coming to Ireland to go to St. Michael's, I was into the, an all boys environment. And I thought that was definitely, you know, weird yeah. for me. Uh, like two major things that stood out is number one, everyone wanted to kill each other in St. Michael's. <laughs> and number two, personal hygiene was really at a like historic low. I think. <laughs> yeah, still so is. Then, it still is. Is it? Okay, yeah. actually, that, that's, that's good to know. Maybe that's something that, um, you know, learning somebody could pick up from this. Yeah. Anyway, um, so going into Trinity was, was uh, for me, a little bit, it was refreshing, you know, because it was back to a, a mixed environment. Yeah. And I, uh, that's, that's one big change I definitely noticed. Um, I also loved uh, Trinity was great because you were moving into, uh, you know, going into the center of town, leaving D4. Yeah. You know, if I'd gone to UCD, I would have stayed in D4 yeah. for a long time, I'd say. Anyway, uh, going into Trinity was great, into the center of town. And also Trinity's a really international university. I didn't go to UCD, so I don't know too much about it back in those days, you know, 92 to 96. But I can definitely say that... Uh, Trinity was a really international place, and uh, that that was cool for me as well. Yeah, and once you get through your college, the dreaded college degree, as yeah. it's known now, did you go straight into employment, or did you go for a master's? Actually, um, first thing I would say is that one of my best experiences in college was definitely my Erasmus year. Yeah, and I would recommend that to anyone, and I would say to anyone, go anywhere. It doesn't really matter where you go. I actually I went to France because I was studying French. And uh, that was definitely one of the top experiences, probably one of the top years of my life so far. It was just the opportunity to go travel into another country, in this case, France, you know, funded by the European Union in terms of the school fees. And then you also get a little bit of a stipend uh, that you can use to, uh, you know, help pay for rent, etc. And you just had this sort of, it's, I think it's a little bit like transition year in the sense that it's this, this transition period, but it's also transition year times 10 because you're in a foreign country, yeah. you're looking after yourself, you're, uh, it's a, you, know, you may well have a foreign language or you may not. And in, in my case, I did. Yeah. And it was, it was just amazing. So actually, um, at the end of um, the uh, scholastic year in, uh, in um, my Erasmus year, we were told you must do an internship or a stage, as they say in yeah. French, that summer in France. So I was like, okay, all right, I have to find myself an internship. So I actually got one with uh, Smurfit in Paris. And that was, even, that was even cooler. Yeah. And that was a really, I think, important part of my development because that allowed me to have three months work experience, you know, on my CV when it came to then looking for a job after college. And I think if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have had any work experience besides being a tennis coach, which is mm. great for being a tennis coach, yeah. but not necessarily great for something else. Okay. So, uh, yeah, when, um, when college ended... I took a couple of months off and I just, you know, traveled around, had a bit of fun. And uh, then I uh, said to myself, right, I want to move back to France. Because like I said, I had such a great time there. Yeah. So I, um, I got a job in the Walt Disney Company in Paris. I got it through my friend's brother's girlfriend's flatmate. Okay. Can I run that by you again, Richie? Yeah. Let me just try one more time. So my friend Stu, his brother Jason. Okay. Had a girlfriend. We're living with her flatmate and her flatmate. She was leaving Disney to go do an MBA in Harvard. And I said, right, we need someone to take my place. So word filtered back. Joe, you should apply. I applied and uh, got the job. Sweet. Yeah. And what, what kind of experience did that give you working in Disney? Because from the outside, people kind of, once they think of Disney, they think of all the movies and stuff. But obviously, mm-hmm. there's much more to it than that. And what kind of was it like to work in mm-hmm. uh, an interesting company like Disney? Yeah, so... What Disney does is it creates characters and stories. That's what Disney yeah. does. Okay? And those characters and stories are then spun off 
into all the different uh, parts of the company. So, for example, the characters and stories, you see them in the park. Uh, the characters and stories, you read about them in the books. You see them in the video games. You watch them in the movies. You buy the, the toys, be they, uh, uh, what is it my daughters love at the moment? Elsa? Yeah. And uh, Anna, Elsa and Anna from Frozen. Jeez, I can't believe I forgot those names. They'd, they'd kill me. But um, so when I joined Disney, I started working in the video game business, which was actually a really interesting and fast-growing business uh, back in 1996 when I joined. It's changed a lot now. But uh, we're just changing platforms from 32-bit to 64-bit and then eventually to 128-bit. So it was really interesting. Uh, some of the games I worked on there was the were um, Tarzan and uh, uh, even, even The Lion King was still around at that time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, for me, it was an opportunity to move back to a, a country where I'd had a great time before and, uh, you know, move out of home and, uh, then, um, yeah, just, just start working. You know, uh, when you start working, I think you really understand that, you know, how to you know be responsible, take responsibility, uh, um, you know, deliver on what you promise, yeah. uh, all those kind of things. So that was great. And be able to do it in, you know, in France, in French was great. Uh, the first year wasn't was the you know the first year the first contract you get normally is um, your pay is normally pretty low. And I can tell you, cost of living in Paris is pretty high. Yeah. So uh, that first year I was definitely uh, subsidized by my parents, but I think pretty much everybody is. Yeah. Um, but then after that, after that end of that first contract, I managed to get a uh, a decent uh, you know a decent salary that allowed me to live, and uh, that was great. I ended up spending four years there. After two years, I was like, oh, I think I might want to leave. I'm not too sure. I said I'll give it one more year. So I gave it one more year, and that Christmas I came home again, and I was like, "Geez, I wonder, should I give it another year?" And I said, "Okay, I'll give it, I'll give it one more." You know, and I ended up doing four years there, and I absolutely loved it. It was really great. And you kind of give me a little bit of a hint there, as you were saying when you were coming home, you're like, "Will I stay? Will I yeah. go? Will I go?" So, like, did you come back to Ireland after your four years in Disney, or did you go elsewhere? Yeah, I think uh, I, I can't actually remember chatting to a couple of people about it when I. Uh, when I finished at Disney, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, as, or sorry, as I was getting near to finishing at Disney, I said, what am I going to do with myself? What will I do? And a lot of my friends had actually, kind of like you alluded to, had taken a year out after college to go yeah. and go to Australia or travel. And I said to myself, God, I've never done that. I should do that, you know? So um, I just decided to go ahead and just do it. So I got myself an Australian visa and uh, booked myself some flights. It was the Olympics were happening at that time. Kathy Freeman was running in the 400. Um, for Australia and I said to myself yeah I'm just going to go and do it I'm going to go to Australia teach tennis learn how to surf and watch the Olympics that was basically my plan so I came back to Ireland for a couple of months just to get my stuff together and then I uh, headed off to Australia for a year and again another fabulous experience in terms of uh, you know traveling around uh, getting to use my you know my tennis skills to earn a bit of money learning how to surf I'm not necessarily the greatest surfer ever some would call me a good knee boarder and a bad surfer <laughs> but you know we won't mention those people. Uh, but um, no, I, I really enjoyed that. I actually ended up meeting my future wife there. Okay. Uh, who actually, would you believe, uh, lives about three and a half minutes from my mom's house and went to school with my little sister. Oh. And I ended up meeting her small in Australia. World. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is a small world. You've got to be nice to everyone, Richie, because you yeah. never know. You never, you never know. know. And um, just on that tennis coaching, that's obviously a passion of yours. Mm -hmm. Have you continued to tr to do that, like, present day or is it something that you did in your younger years and then you mm -hmm. focused elsewhere like is it still a passion of yours yeah so i 
actually, I, lo- I love tennis. I, I picked up tennis, you know, when I was a kid, obviously when I was living in California. And um, it's just been something that I've, I don't know, I've always been, I'd say, of, of all the sports that I have played, I don't play all sports, but of all the sports, it's the one I'm definitely best at. Yeah. That's not to say I'm necessarily, you know, very, very good at it. Yeah. I just said, you know, I'm better than Dave Wilson, basically. Yeah. Um, no, no, that, that's a fact, actually. A 6-4 in the last competitive <laughs> set we played. I can actually remember I was 5-4 uh, up serving 40-30, missed my first serve. I said to myself, this is my chance. I'm going to beat him. And I just hit my second serve as hard as I could. Luckily, it was in, and he had no idea it was coming. Boom. Match over. 6-4. Lifetime record versus Dave. I've won my last match. Happy days. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, I still play loads of tennis, actually. And uh, now that I've got uh, two kids, and uh, obviously I'm, I'm, like I'm 43 now, so I'm a little bit older, so you can't really play rugby anymore. Well, I could, but I'd probably get, probably get killed. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I just I just love the tennis, and also here in Dublin you have the the, the Dublin leagues, so it's actually yeah. a team sport because you're playing for Ellen Park, which is my club, against other par- clubs like Carrick Mines or uh, Donnybrook or whoever, and uh, it's actually a team sport. So uh, yeah, I love it, and I'm loving the tennis at the moment, and um, always have done really. When I lived in France, I didn't play as much, but uh, yeah, it's just been something that's uh, yeah always been at now for the last geez, I don't know, probably something like 38 years or something like that. <laughs> Well, here's to another 30, hopefully. I hope so, yeah, yeah, that would get me to 73. I should be able to still, you know, play a little bit of tennis yeah. at 73. Let's see. And you touched on it in the introduction there that you then taught in St. Michael's College. Yeah. And was that after Disney or was that a few years down the line or yeah. how did that come about? I fell into it, really. Um, there wasn't a great plan to, uh, to do that. I came back from Australia and I was looking at what to do and I didn't really know what to do. That was definitely, I think, where I had the big crossroads you know, in yeah. my life where it's like, oh, geez, I wonder what I'll do, you know? Um, and when I came back, uh, my mom was telling me to go do an MBA or to go work for an investment bank. There was a huge amount of banking going on in the IFSC at the yeah. time. Uh, that really wasn't for me. My dad actually had said to me initially as I was leaving school, you should go work for, you know, PwC or one of these companies. And I was like, oh no, I just don't see myself doing that, yeah. you know? Um, so, uh, yeah. So when I came back, I was, uh, I ended up actually working with my dad who was working with the European Union and the International Olympic Committee on anti-doping in sport. Okay. They were setting up a website of peer-reviewed articles on, um, on anti-doping in sport and a, a lot of education. And uh, as I was doing that, uh, Dave Wilson actually was uh, telling me, look, there's going to be a couple of opportunities in the school. You should uh, um, you know, consider taking one of them up. It's an opportunity to get into the school, get into teaching, get into education. You've done something like that before. And it, it seemed to make sense to me. And uh, I ended up teaching there for just short of three years. And um, yeah, again, getting back into St. Michael's, which as I said, for me, was a, was a great community of, of, of people, was, was really interesting. And uh, I think it also gave me a real feel for for education and the energy you get off your students yeah. was just massive. Like there were, there were also stuff, there was stuff that was tough as well, you know, but uh, definitely the major thing I can remember is the energy you get off your students. Like they come into school every day or work every day. And for them, they're like, right, how can I get the most out of this day? And uh, you don't necessarily get that every day when you come into work. Yeah. And did you take those kind of characteristics and skills in relation to trying to get the best out of your students or, you know, basically planning and all that stuff to you, did that go forward into your next job? Like, did you bring forward those skills you learned? Yeah, I think uh, those, I would consider those to be people skills, yeah. you know? And uh, I think 
you really do need to be a, a people person if you're going to be a successful teacher. Uh, it's a question of connecting with another human and getting them excited about whatever it is that you're trying to talk to them about or sell or or get them engaged in. Yeah. You know, if it happens to be history, if it happens to be mathematics, or if it happens to be French, you know, there's uh, it's about connecting with them. So I think, and that's a skill for life, no matter who you are. You know, being able to connect with someone, talk to someone. You know, look them in the eye and make them feel like you know this person really cares about me. Yeah, I think that's the that's one of the major skills. I'm not necessarily saying I'm I'm brilliant at it. Yeah, but uh, I think that's the skill that if you don't have, it can be very difficult. Okay, and moving on, um, I read that you've you worked then went on to work in Google for the guts of nearly ten years. Yeah, nine years. Yeah, nine I can't years. believe it was nine years. To be honest, honestly, I can't. And how how did that get all started up? So, um. It's actually my wife who kind of pushed me to do that. Okay. Um, I was in St. Michael's teaching. I was working on the uh, anti-doping in sport project. And I just, I wasn't, I think I felt that I had a little bit more to give and I wasn't sure how to do it. Yeah. And uh, my wife, she just gave me, she, uh, we weren't married at the time, but she just gave me a, that little push. She said, you know, you should try something a little bit different. Why don't you try to go back into business? And I think that's the little push that I needed. And uh, from there, I started looking around. And um, again, yeah, did I get a little lucky? Maybe I did in the sense that Google is uh, expanding rapidly here in Dublin. And um, that must have been when Google was really in its infancy, was it? Uh, yeah, they had gone public at that stage. Yeah. So it was a publicly traded company, which is you know, obviously a huge move. Um, but yeah, when, when I started at Google in Barrow Street, we had uh, one floor of one building. And about a month after I started, we moved to the lower floor. So then we had two floors. Okay. Um, then, you know, I can't remember how much later, but afterwards we took the whole building. Then we took the building next door, then the building across the road, then the building around the corner. It's took enormous. The whole street. It, yeah, it's, yeah, they don't have the whole street, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're working on it. Yeah, Barrow Street. I definitely would avoid driving up and down Barrow Street yeah. at any time during the day. It's a nightmare. There's so many people walking around or taxis going in and out of there. It's, uh, it's extremely busy. And now they're going to put in that thing... Um, uh, Boland's Mills are redeveloping that there I think they're oh, going to yeah. put in a little museum to the uh, to the uprising and all that kind of stuff so I think it's only oh, going to really? get busier Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah stay clear yeah. and what did your job consist of yeah. throughout that 10 year so when, uh, yeah so when I first started uh, Google had this fantastic problem of having far too many customers so for any business that is a fantastic problem yeah. to have so what they needed to do was service these customers so it was essentially the first thing they needed to do was approve ads so when I arrived at Google the first thing I started doing was approving ads you know checking to make sure did they match the policies or not and uh, some of them did some of them didn't so you had to approve the ads the next thing you do is you get on the email and you'd be allowed to email customers back and forth and they'd be asking you questions like you know why isn't my ad showing or uh why is my budget not working properly or what happened to my credit card details? So, you know, troubleshooting. And then the next thing after that was moving on to the phones and actually uh, having a portfolio of customers and working with them. And then, yeah, after maybe about two years there, we started working towards creating a part of the business that was, you know, the Pareto principle where 80% of your revenue tends to come from 20% of your clients. Okay. That applies pretty much any business. And yeah, it did apply to Google. So Google created this, this head of the business, or it was called a DCS at the time. And now it's called LCS, large customer sales. And it's about uh, working with a group of customers. And then we got put onto sales quotas then, which is that, you know, your quota for the quarter would be, let's say a hundred. And you'd go out there with your group of clients and try to get to that uh, quota. Um, 
the main thing to do, obviously, though, if, when you're working with your clients in that environment is to help your client be successful. Yeah. If your client is successful, they will continue to invest with you. But if you just talk to them about, hey, did you know my quota is 100 and you're only doing 50? This isn't going to help. That's just not going to work. Yeah. Whereas if your client sees success, if, if their business is being successful, they keep investing in you. Um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's pretty much the evolution. I stayed in the, in the UK market or the English-speaking market for the first... Uh, I think the first three years, and after that, then an opportunity came up in uh, in emerging markets in Central and Eastern Europe, and um, I said, "Yeah, I'll take it." I think they might have thought my last name was Polish Komuski, so they <laughs> said, "Yeah, let's give it to this guy." <laughs> you know, and other than that, I didn't have any experience with Poland, but um, they were looking for people to take up those roles there, and I, t- uh, I took up emerging markets then in two thousand and nine, I think eight or nine, yeah, I can't remember. Um, but from then, I've been in emerging markets ever since. Moved from uh, Central and Eastern Europe into the Middle East. And uh, from there um, to uh, Middle East and Africa. So, yeah, super interesting markets, interesting, by the yeah. way. Yeah, really hard to know everything about all the markets there. But uh, it's a, for me, it's super interesting. And did having a second language, France, French, I should say, mm-hmm. um, did that come in handy? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it certainly comes in handy in uh, North Africa. There's a lot of business being done in um, in Egypt, uh, Ivory Coast, Senegal, um, places like that, Morocco. That's actually done through French. So yeah, it, it definitely does help. And um, yeah, I got to use it. Uh, I got to use it a fair amount actually over the last uh, couple of years. Not from the linguistic perspective, more about you know getting stuff done. And last thing on Google, what would you remember? Say the biggest or the most challenging period of being in a employee of google like what stood out at jesus like this is this is tough work or mm. you know basically something that just challenged you more than say the other say nine and a half years yeah or whatever yeah um for me i really liked the hyper growth phase when there was uh, a lot of different things to do not a lot of structure um not a lot of people around you have to just get it done yourself and there's no one else is going to do it except you so i really liked that when the growth slowed down and it became a little bit more structured and ossified in terms of, uh, you know, you wanted to get something done. You needed like four VPs approval and all those VPs wanted to, to have their say on it. You're like, oh, my goodness, you know, that's, I think, the time that I found the most challenging for me because it was just, it was just too slow. Uh, that's what I, that's what I didn't like about, uh, about Google or I, what, what I think challenged me the most. Okay. And then you pop over to Facebook. Yeah. So when you think, when you think of the two two big businesses are organizations that are relevant, say, today. You think, okay, I'm going to go on my laptop, I'm going to type in Google, and then I'm probably going to go on Facebook. So mm-hmm. it's quite interest, interesting that that jump was made. And how did the opening of Facebook come about? Yeah, so um, first thing I'd say is that I definitely feel that, uh, you know, we're blessed here in Dublin to be able to have Google, Facebook, Twitter, yeah. LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, all here in Dublin. Uh, it's fantastic for us. So, you know, you don't have to leave your home city and you can go work for these, uh, you know, some of the biggest companies in the yeah. world or fastest growing at least. Um, it's definitely uh, not to be sniffed at. Um, so, yeah, it was someone that I'd worked with at Google was working at Facebook. And um, he said, here, Joe, I think I have an opportunity for you on Facebook. That could be great. Um, would you like to think about it? And it was actually very difficult for me to move from Google to Facebook because uh, you're in Google and you're thinking, this is one of the best companies in the world. You know? yeah. Why would I leave this company? What if I left this company and then it didn't work out? People would say, you idiot, why did you leave Google? You know? But it was just the opportunity that existed. Uh, for me, I could see uh, the shifts kind of coming that were going to, in my opinion, 
uh, tilt online advertising or advertising in general in favor of, uh, of Facebook. And uh, I decided it's uh, too big an opportunity to let pass up. So I went for it. That was about two and a half years ago. And uh, yeah, I'm, I think I made the right choice yeah. so far. That's good to hear. And thinking and trying to compare, say, the two companies, what would you say the the standout differences are because from the outside people might think oh you know they have all the free food the comfort zone stuff like that but as a an employee of both companies during your time and for a substantial amount of time what would be the standout differences yeah the free food by the way just that you mention it that for me is the number one perk like i've been working in in online advertising in these two companies for the last you know for over 10 years so basically i haven't had to buy lunch in 10 years that is amazing it is. you know and i i do realize how lucky i am to be able to say that um also uh you know these companies offer good perks like you know health insurance and life insurance and all that i think if they took away my health insurance i might not even notice yeah. if took away the free food and the free coffee i might You'd flip notice. out yeah well, i think <laughs> I flip out. First yeah, thing. yeah yeah it'd be the first thing yeah um but uh yeah i think um i actually can't remember your question now but uh, uh the differences between oh, yeah, the differences, google yeah. and facebook for me i think there's uh there's three major differences um, number one, Facebook is moving much faster than Google. Uh, number two, Facebook is much smaller than Google. Yeah. Like it's um, really significantly smaller, about a sixth of the size, but uh, about a quarter of the of the revenue. So it uh, shows that uh, I think Facebook is, yeah, it's just a little bit, in terms of the size, it's, a, it's probably about a lot, a lot more human, you know? Yeah. Just when it gets that that big, paradoxically, you've got more humans, but it becomes less uh, human. And um, the third thing would be that uh, I find Facebook much more willing to partner with third parties. Okay. A great example of that is the Facebook Marketing Partner Program, which is uh, about Facebook partnering with, you know, uh, they're kind of like agencies, but they're very focused on Facebook um, and, uh, and helping them uh, to help grow Facebook's own business. Uh, whereas Google was very much either... Um, buy it or build it you know yeah. they weren't they weren't, weren't very much interested i don't think in uh, in partnerships so they, they those for me are the, are the three big differences but actually um i find uh online advertising to be a, or advertising in general to be a, a super interesting space to be in i might sound a bit of a bit like an advertising nerd but yeah. I, I i do actually find it super interesting and the three major changes that we've seen in the industry is that there's a big shift towards outcome-based advertising you know there's that famous quote that um you know half the money i spend on advertising is wasted I just don't know which half. Yeah. But now I think with the advent of, of digital advertising, you can track things a lot more closely. And this allows um, companies to be very much focused on outcome-based advertising. The second is that um, you know, TV and offline retail are very much under pressure. Um, I'm not sure about what it's like for you, Richie, but I don't find I'm watching that much TV anymore. What about no, you? It's, yeah. it's no longer the, the go-to. It's amazing, days. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that, that's a big change. You know? yeah. And offline retail as well. You know, Amazon's been active in the united states now for about 25 years that's a quarter of a century 25 years and now people have got the amazon echo in their kitchen or in their their home and they're talking to it telling it what to buy and this is putting you know offline retail under pressure yeah i mean there's still huge amounts of money invested in offline retail and also on on tv but uh they're definitely coming under pressure in terms of their growth rates and um you're now starting to see for me the third biggest shock you're starting to see these digital businesses that are born online really making an impact um, if you think of, uh, have you heard of Dollar Shave Club? Yes, I actually have, yeah. They're cool. Their ads yeah. are very funny. They were bought by Unilever for a billion dollars. 
just going to say that again so that it registers. A <laughs> billion dollars. I feel like an extra from, uh, what's that movie? Austin Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil, yeah. But it's unbelievable that um, Procter & Gamble, they own, so Procter & Gamble and Unilever are the two big competitors. Procter & Gamble own Gillette. They basically owned men's grooming. You know, Unilever couldn't even get close. They just didn't even, they just stopped trying. They just couldn't even get close. Gillette was like, you know, one blade, then two blades, then three blades, then luber strips, then battery-powered razors and all this kind of stuff. Along comes Dollar Shave Club, and Unilever goes, that's the business for us. Happy to shell out a billion dollars to buy them. If you watch their first ad, uh, which is one of the funniest ads I think you'll see, it's it's amazing to think they've come from there to being worth a billion dollars. So these are the these are the massive shifts that are happening in this industry. Yeah. And uh, when I look at you know the time I worked at Disney in the uh, video game space, and now being in the advertising space, they're the they're the sort of parallels that I draw. Is those those big changes in uh, in those industries? That's what I think I'm uh, I'm attracted to. That's what that's what gets me uh, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, and get me wanting to go to work. And like, just to give an example of like, what would say a typical day in Facebook? So you wake up, you get in. What would a typical day at Facebook be like for you? Yeah, so um, I don't, I don't really have a typical typical day, but there are a couple of things yeah. that I like to look at. In fact, I like the fact that I don't have a typical day. Yeah. But uh, first thing I do, um, so I'm I'm in a, a sales organization, so we've got quotas and we've got clients. So the first thing I would do uh, is I go in and I check my numbers for the day, see how we're doing. You know, what's up, what's down. Um, the great thing about being measured uh, on a number like that, on dollars, is that it's easy to count. So you're actually, you know, if you're doing well or you're not doing well. If you're measured on something like customer satisfaction, it's actually much difficult because it's really hard to measure customer satisfaction. It's kind of like the amount of listeners you might get to your podcast. Yeah. That's, that's a great way of looking at it, you know. Um, so I would definitely check the numbers. And the next thing I do is I check my email to see what's on fire <laughs> first thing in the morning. I work across a couple of different time zones. So like Dubai is about three to four hours uh, uh, earlier than Dublin uh, Johannesburg is an hour or two hours depending on the time zones so uh, you got to make sure you stay uh, um, uh, connected to what's happening in those time zones do um, you ever not sleep as a result of that? no, no, like, no, no. You gotta never go to those ex- yeah, you got to switch extremes. it off. Okay. You've got to switch it off, Richie, yeah. you know? Just, yeah. uh, I, you know, there's a couple of settings on the phone, you know, where we can have sleep time. Between yeah. like, you can choose between like 10 and 7. You just say, no beeps, you know? Switch off, yeah. Exactly, exactly. You have to do it. Plus, I've got kids, so, uh, you know, when you go home and the kids want to play with you, you actually can't be on your phone. Yeah. You have to put them away because uh, they just won't have it. Um, but, um, yeah, so I would definitely do that. I would always go for a coffee at about uh, 10, 10.30. I'm uh, turning into a bit of a coffee addict. I love a good cappuccino. Um, and uh, that would give me an opportunity normally to connect with somebody. Uh, after that, um, I do a lot of uh, meetings with uh, our team members here in Dublin, in Johannesburg, Dubai, Tel Aviv, Istanbul. So uh, there'd be a huge amount of meetings would be kicked off normally then around that time, and they would go right through lunch. And then coming to the end of the day, then uh, be checking the emails again to make sure that uh, nothing else has... Uh, has uh, it's popped up. Yeah, has popped up over the course of the day. But, um, yeah, I find in a, in a typical day, I'm pretty much glued to my phone for most of the day. We do a lot of stuff, obviously, uh, in the cloud. So a lot of stuff coming through on Facebook Messenger, on Facebook, through email, etc. Okay. And one of the last questions I have for you is when I was walking up here and you were pointing out that, like, for basically the listeners here, there's, mm-hmm. there's very few offices, as you pointed yeah. out. It's just an open, open plan type of um, setting around us. Like initially when you joined, was there, did you have to kind of 
not so much change your personality, but did you have to adapt to what was expected of you when you joined Facebook? Or was it just a seamlessly easy transition from basically just being who you are to being mm. expected to converse and be open with your coworkers? Yeah, actually, um, every organization has its own culture. Um, and culture is like living, breathing thing. It evolves. Yeah. Like I saw the culture at Google evolve over nine years. And uh, been here at Facebook now, as I was saying, about two and a half years. And uh, what they talk about here at Facebook is, um, is bringing your whole self to work. So hopefully, if that works well, then when you come to work, you can actually just be yourself, right? And uh, that means that you don't have work Joe and, you know, at home Joe. Yeah. So um, Facebook's culture is to allow people to be themselves. So um, I found that I, I didn't really need to make a huge change. But I do find that some people who come to work at Facebook, let's say you're coming from, I don't know, let's say a bank or, yeah. uh, I don't know, uh, a telco, and you're coming here to Facebook, you might find that the office culture is totally different to what you'd experience in the bank or in the telco. So some people do, you know, kind of maybe have a first, like, kind of four to six weeks where they're like, whoa, what's going yeah, on here? What's you know? going on? Somebody just walked past me and said hello. Is, is that okay? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's, that's okay. Or, um, you know, people are in a corner like, you know, playing mini golf and like literally yelling. Is that all right? You're like, yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, that's okay. Maybe not too, for too long, but uh, yeah, that is okay. So, um, and again, you know, I've been in the online advertising industry for, for over 10 years now. So I think the culture is, is not a million, the culture on Facebook is not a million miles away from, uh, from Google. Okay. And I suppose probably to cap off. The, Actually, just one more yeah, thing shoot. is that there is someone though who I can imagine would have difficulty with this. Yeah. And that's got to be... Uh, good friend of mine uh greg mcwilliams i've actually um you know he'd be the sort of guy walking down the corridor you know high five you yeah. know it's like and that that could probably be something that would be a little bit difficult for for everyone here at facebook to yeah. to deal with so i just wanted to call greg out for that and um yeah i just like to make sure that that's something that he knows that david brandt basically wouldn't work out yeah. at facebook yeah that'd be yeah. that'd be actually if you could let him know that richie if you're talking to him that'd be great but i think he'll probably listen to this and he'll be uh, probably on to both of us excellent news richie that's what we're after <laughs> yeah exactly and um like moving forward you're saying like a lot of the time you're saying like it was kind of a right place right time you kind of fell into these jobs so mm. like i know it's very hard to predict the future and stuff like that but like do you see yourself settling down here and hopefully going on and doing another Google on it and staying here for 10, maybe even longer than that, 10 plus years? Mm. Or are you just very much take it day by day, yeah. month by month? So I honestly, I don't know how I stayed in Google for nine years. I never imagined myself staying in one organization for nine yeah. years. I think what happened over that period was that Google was growing and evolving so quickly that it didn't feel like nine years because, you know, you were going from one team to another team and it was businesses growing, you were moving into different parts of the business. Um, here at Facebook, We've also got that, I think, um, fast growth happening right now. And uh, I think that there are going to be more opportunities here at Facebook uh, for me and for other people. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to put a number on it. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't say I'm taking it month by month. Yeah. I'd say I'm more taking it uh, year by year. So, okay. uh, yeah, I could definitely see myself here for, for another year and then we'll see how it goes. Okay. And we kind of danced around the the ideal person for to kind of fit into say a place like facebook or google but in your opinion say because a lot of college students be watching this and a lot of say fifth and sixth years who are going yeah. into college and yeah. going into hopefully employment 
like what type of person do you feel is the ideal candidate for a company say of google stature or facebook like what type of person do you have to be in order to excel yeah. in a company such as say facebook uh, so um first thing i'd say is that facebook and google are both mission driven companies so uh facebook's mission is to connect the world uh google's mission is to organize the world's information so i think people that are successful at these organizations are people who connect with that mission right yeah um secondly People who um, are successful here, I believe, are ones that are, what's the word? They, they like to move fast, they're adaptable, and they've got, I think, strong skill sets in terms of uh, you know, understanding uh, what it is they're good at and just doing more and more and more of it. So that might sound a little bit uh, strange, but I think what I'm trying to say is that it's people who are, um, who are really passionate about these roles and okay. just you know, are going to go all in when they start. Okay. And to cap off the podcast, for the listeners, we are actually getting photographed yeah. by... <laughs> uh, he's on my team, I know. That's, that's Ben. He's, uh, I'm probably going to use that against me later. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> um, just to finish off with a few quick-fire questions. All it's, right, it's go tradition, for it. so you know, first thing that comes into your head, just say it. No okay. shame, whatever. Let's <laughs> see what pops up. Yikes. So, uh, number one, YouTube or Netflix? YouTube for like uh, sports reruns and Netflix for chilling out and watching with my wife. Okay. Uh, your favorite film? Oh, I think I like A River Runs Through It. Okay. Uh, favorite tennis player of uh, all time? Yeah, Roger way. Federer. No doubt about it. Yeah, no, he is. He's the goat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, favorite social media platform? Facebook. Yeah. yeah perfect employee there no well no. it's also the one i use the most and the one that uh, same with me i'd yeah. also say facebook yeah. as um, well I, i'm on the other ones but uh for me i think it's the one that allows me to connect with my friends who are like all around the world yeah you know let's say a friend of mine living in peru for example yeah. i couldn't use another one to uh, to connect with him although i must say i use whatsapp a lot i don't know is whatsapp is a messaging platform but would you consider that a social platform yeah. mm. it's up for Probably debate was. by the way yeah. yeah for another podcast perhaps get yes. someone from whatsapp on maybe there that you go uh, a night in or a night out? Lots of nights in, so I'd love a night out. Tomorrow night, going to a wedding, looking forward to it. Going to okay. be celebrating with uh, a couple of my friends. Okay. And who would you suggest to get on for the next podcast? Ooh. Without saying Dave Wilson and talking about his traumatic loss to you in that tennis game. <laughs> he hasn't. I'm pretty, much, pretty sure he retired straight after. <laughs> who would I get on for the next podcast? Oh, it's a really interesting uh, person. It has to be from St. Michael's? Not necessarily, no. Yeah. I think uh, if I was going to talk to someone, you know, super interesting is, why don't you get the president of Ireland on, Michael D. Higgins? You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on in, uh, in Europe at the moment and also in the United States from a political point of view. It's actually, it's, uh, it's uh, International or National Poetry Day today and he's a, he's a great poet. I would say get on to Michael D. Higgins and ask him, would he come on? I'm okay. sure he'd love to do it. So yeah, no, Michael, if you are listening, call me. Or it's Facebook, Facebook message me. Good man. <laughs> On message, Richie. Good man. And your favorite country to visit? Um, or it could be for business. Doesn't have to be. Yeah. Us. Yeah. I must say, I was in Cape Town there a couple of weeks ago. It's just an absolutely beautiful place. It really, really is. And uh, right now, the the rand is uh, you know very low versus the euro, so it's yeah. like you can't spend your money there. So uh, I'd recommend a trip to Cape Town. Okay. And last but not least, sum yourself up in three words. Three words. That's true. Uh, I'm going to use one word, Richie, okay. for uh, 
two reasons. I can't think of two other words. Okay. There you go. But uh, the one word I like to use is balance. Um, in my life, I really like to have a nice balance between work, like my, my family, my own like leisure pursuits like tennis, golf, etc. I like to be able to strike that balance. And I feel if I'm striking that balance, things go well for me. So... Yeah, that's the one I like to think of when I'm thinking about, uh, you know, making any big decisions or, uh, or looking at something is, is balance. Okay, that's a great answer, actually. And um, just this, I want to say thank you. Obviously, we've um, waited a good amount of time. But listen, it's definitely been worth it in my eyes. And thanks a million for the gifts. Yeah, my, my pleasure, Richie. It was great to have you here on Facebook. I'm really looking forward to seeing you rocking those shades. Maybe I, I'm I might, a, get, a, I might go- get a picture on social media. Yeah, no, definitely, actually, no. And I'll use the notebook and pen, no doubt. And I will remind uh, Dave Wilson of that last first thing tomorrow morning. Good man, that's what we want to do. Okay, well thanks a million, Joe. Thank you, Richie.